A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, food followers around the world, and welcome to episode 32 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. My name is Ben Johnson. Thank you so much for stopping by. This month we have two copies of the new book from former podcast guest and friend of the show Meredith Lewis to give away. Ask for the Moon, Innovation at Shaw Brothers Studios details how the Shaw Brothers in Hong Kong helped to revolutionise martial arts movies in the latter half of the 20th century. Meredith looks at those individual filmmakers who managed to put their own mark on these movies and help create the Kung Fu classics that we know and love today. You can get your hands on a copy of the book by signing up to our newsletter at kungfumovieguide.com. Simply type in your email address when prompted and once you validate your email we will do the rest. The competition question will be announced in our next newsletter that will be released on the 30th of September. So become a registered Foo follower today and be in with a chance of winning that book. Best of luck. Okay, thank you so much for downloading and listening to this episode of the show, episode 32 with Jesse V. Johnson. Very exciting indeed. Okay, without any further ado, here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. Hello, hello everybody, wherever you are, wherever you're logging on and listening to this episode, season 3, episode 32, thank you my friends for joining me. Foo followers, fans of the Foo everywhere around the world, I hope you're doing well, I hope you're okay, I am feeling much better now, thank you very much for your concern. Uh, Anyone who tuned in, of course, to the previous episode of the show, which was our Vengeance movie special... Uh, featuring uh, Brian Larkin and Ross Boyask and John Adams, uh, would have heard that I was a little bit under the weather on that episode. But thankfully, I am in full voice today uh, and don't sound like death, so that's uh, a very positive sign. Listen, we have a big show for you today. Jesse V. Johnson is on the podcast today. Very happy to bring you this in-depth conversation that I had with Jesse over the internet Jesse is a veteran of action movies, having worked as a stuntman on uh, many huge uh, Hollywood titles and being a writer and director of his own feature films. He is the British-born nephew of stunt legend Vic Armstrong and in the last few years he has enjoyed a string of successes uh, working with the UK martial arts star Scott Adkins on titles including Savage Dog, Accident Man, The Debt Collector and there's two more titles which are yet to be released. Triple Threat, of course, being one of them. Triple Threat is the martial arts movie event of the century. Um, and it stars everyone, including Iko Yue, Tiger Chen, Tony Jaa, Michael Bisping, Jijai Yanin, Selena Jade and Michael Jai White, and of course Scott. And they've just wrapped on a film here in the UK called Avengement. This reunites Jesse with Scott Atkins and the great actor Louis Mandela who was so wonderful in The Debt Collector. If you haven't seen The Debt Collector, then you really should. It's, it's a very enjoyable watch, and it is available now on Netflix. 
It will also get its UK big screen premiere at the Fighting Spirit Film Festival here in London this Friday night, the 14th of September, with Jesse and Scott and Lewis in attendance. And I believe Selena Lowe is also going to be there. Selena does have a small role in The Debt Collector. There will be a live Q&A and intro to the film. It looks like a phenomenal event. For more information and tickets, head to FightingSpiritFilmFestival.com. There's lots of cool stuff happening at the Fighting Spirit Film Festival this year, including a seminar from action movie expert and friend of the show, Mike Fury. It is also the UK premiere of the independent action movie Vengeance, um, which I mentioned earlier. If you want to learn more about Vengeance, then check out our previous episode, episode 31. The film stars Stu Bennett plus Brian Larkin and its director Ross Boyask and producer John Adams will all be there at the film festival in attendance for a live Q&A. There will also be screenings of The Karate Kid Part 2 and Enter the Dragon, which celebrates its 45th anniversary this year. That screening of Enter the Dragon will be presented by the wonderful team over at Terracotta Distribution. It is going to be one hell of an event. I've been lucky enough to run podcasts from the Fighting Spirit Film Festival since it launched in 2016. Uh, and it really is amazing to see how far the festival has, has come since then. All due to the hard work and dedication of its founder, Sue Cole and uh, the awesome team that she's put together there. So Sue is incredibly passionate, not just about the martial arts, but also in providing a platform for up-and-coming martial arts stars and filmmakers, writers, directors, stunt performers uh, to get their short films shown. So that has always been a very integral part of the Fighting Spirit Film Festival uh, and a really wonderful thing that Sue does. So Listen, we salute everyone there at the Fighting Spirit Film Festival and we urge all you Foo followers listening uh, around the world to get behind the amazing work that, that is going on over there. So that's the Fighting Spirit Film Festival that is taking place this weekend in London. Grab your tickets now. Uh, listen, before I throw over to my conversation with Jesse, uh, a couple of bits to update you on. As yet, no one has been able to help our friend on Twitter, Phil Ferguson, uh, who did a shout out uh, a couple of episodes back uh, to anyone who could help him name a kung fu movie in which there was a training sequence where the good guy had to catch silver balls uh, before they uh, hit the grounds that were falling from a metal torso. Uh, it's really annoying because I, I know that I've seen that in a film somewhere years ago. Uh, and Phil, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of it. So I'm throwing it back out there to the loyal foo followers around the world. If anyone recognises that title. I did, however, manage to help another Foo follower, George Petrotta. Thank you so much for your email. George wanted help in finding a movie which he remembered seeing in a drive-in theatre in the early 70s, which at the time was marketed under the title Deep Thrust. True fact, everyone. Uh, obviously, this was following in the wake of the success of the Linda Lovelace porn film Deep Throat, uh, of course, why any marketeer would want to link uh, an old school kung fu movie to a porn flick. That does seem uh, slightly strange. But anyway, the movie which went under the title of Deep Thrust in, uh, in America is, of course, more famously known as Lady Whirlwind, which is another wonderful title. That's a, a great Golden Harvest film from 1972 directed by Huang Feng 
action by Sammo Hung, and it stars the wonderful Angela Mao Ying. Classic kung fu at its finest, and it was great to be able to actually help George to identify that lost film, uh, which he remembered from all those years ago. If you do have any uh, questions that you want answering, any feedback, or maybe something that you want read out on the show, whatever it is, drop me an email. The email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. We are also all over social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I did notice the other day, actually, that we've just got over 2,000 followers now on Instagram, uh, which is wonderful. The Instagram page hasn't been running for too long, so thank you so much, Foo followers around the world, for showing your support. We do try our best to uh, keep on top of all the latest martial arts movie news through our social media platforms, so thank you so much for following us. If you do, on any of those platforms, that is very much appreciated. Okay, Jesse V. Johnson then. This was quite a frank and uh, candid uh, conversation uh, that I had with Jesse. This was recorded in June of this year, 2018. He uh, pulls no punches in this uh, episode, and we do get to cover quite a lot of ground here, including some really interesting information about Triple Threat. If you're excited about this movie, and let's face it, if you're listening to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast, then you're probably going to be pretty damn excited about triple threats but uh there is some pretty cool information that uh, jesse shares on this episode so that's coming up there's also quite a bit of bad language on this episode straight from the get-go actually if i if i remember correctly so yes if that does bother you then you have been warned the debt collector is his latest movie he is the writer and director it stars scott adkins and lewis mandela it is out now on Netflix. Okay, without any further ado then, here we go. Here is my conversation with the great action filmmaker, the writer and director, Jesse V. Johnson. I was actually sent a screener of the debt collector so i have seen it now you must be quite chuffed with a lot of the feedback you're getting from this movie it's it's been quite well received hasn't it jesse it's been very very well received i'm waiting i'm waiting for that one that that just fucking eviscerates it but we haven't had it quite yet so uh and pulls it apart but but no it's it's doing it's doing quite well i think people weren't really expecting this you know we're 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 very much on the outskirts of hollywood in terms of what we're making at the moment we we desperately want to have a higher profile scott and i but you know i think people saw accent man and thought it was sort of like a one-off kind of well it's a cheeky chappy london guy you know that's that you know american is thinking that's what we do easily you know and it doesn't take any skill to do that and then suddenly this one came up and i think I think now they're having to sort of reassess what Scott is and what he can do. It seems strange that it's reached this point in in his career and the work that he's been doing with you in particular recently that sort of sparks this career transformation. What do you put that down to? Obviously, he must just feel really comfortable with working, you know, with yourself. Do you think it's a it's a combination of of that stuff? It's given Scott that sort of renewed confidence. No, I, I, I'm very aware of my limitations as 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 a, as a filmmaker so i don't think i have any great earth shattering abilities to change anything no it's two things i think the first is scott loves martial arts he is he is devoted to it in a uh, you know yeah. if you, uh, as you know a lot of martial artists are devoted to the perfecting their art almost in a, in a religious monastic way he he loves it and i think for the last 
what are we looking at 15 years or so he's been very very happy with what he's been doing which is you know perfecting this art and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and i think we all get to a point in our life he's just past 40 we all get to a part you know a point in our life i did as a stuntman where you 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 look at this career that you've carved out for yourself and suddenly realize it can't you know it can't go on forever i think it's a realization that he had to up his game and so he's he he took this incredible sort of you know devotion to to the work and to the discipline took acting lessons and 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 really really started turning you know uh, you know altering his path you know and i i think it's it's just incredible to watch you know you must have developed a shorthand with him though because i know you your relationship with scott goes back to you know pit fighter early 2000s kind of time doesn't it so um, our, paths, uh, our paths kept crossing over the years and it yeah. was a matter of time before we were going to knuckle down and find something that was the right project uh yeah, we, we we get on well and 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 chat and and know when the other one is 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 bullshitting. You know, it, it is easy if you're doing a low budget film to just go to the path, you know, take the path of least resistance, and not to check yourself. He will call me. He has no no fear in telling me when he thinks I'm going the wrong path. And you know, sometimes you have to discuss this, and it gets heated and 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 colourful. We usually end up fighting around about the second from last or the last day of the film. And uh, my my English sentimental way of looking at it is that we're both just disappointed the film's coming over, but but uh, you know, could also be that we're getting tired of each other by that point as well. Having worked on more than enough sort of low budget movies over the years, he's fully aware of you know the dedication that's required to get the thing done. He's a pretty good team player. Is that is that what you need when you're putting a movie like? debt collector together you you can't really be dealing with two big egos 100 no, percent. you can't you can't there's no place for it there's no place for it yeah at all but listen he's an actor so he understands close-ups he understands you know yeah. the amount of time that he's allowed to 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 get a part but it's also you know but again you know making sure that you know as a lead actor you get your close-up and the lighting is right and that you have enough time to perfect the performance we we have a joke now it's it's take three and as much as we both try to get it right on take one or take two, it's never, it's ne you know, the engine's never fully running until about take three. There's so many low budget action movies that are just, they're to a penny, aren't they? So to, to try and create something that sort of lasts long in the, in the memory must be, it must be quite a challenge as well, Jesse. You, you are a very good interviewer because you're complimenting me to get me to talk about it. Sure. Something very important. <laughs> I've just rolled out of bed, so you're going to get a slightly more honest answer on this one. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, you know, I, I'm wise to give, which is that the action B-movie genre is 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 total turd at the moment. Most films are beyond wretched. Uh, I I try and watch them. I have a I have a you know a seven to ten minute mark on most of these pictures where I simply turn them off. You know, I try really really hard because I'm I'm really interested always in seeing what's going on. You know. Uh, but English language-wise, the B movie, the B movies are truly, truly awful. You go back to the 50s or 60s, and you have the Sam Fullers and the Don Siegels, and you, you have these cats that really worked hard at the B movie, and they knew that if they did a good one, they'd get noticed by the studio, and they'd have a chance of getting a big, a big film out of it. What we've got at the moment is about six or seven directors who are covering all of these pictures, you know, low-budget pictures for the studio, low-budget sequels, and they are truly awful. They're scheduled; they're being <laughs> shot scripts with no thought in them and you know directed by people who aren't watching performance I, I just don't i don't get it 
Is that the reason then is because as the budgets have been cut, the days are getting shorter, and but they've still got to, you know, deliver this movie? Is is that the, the reason then, do you think, that that's... Yeah, I, I don't know what goes yeah. behind the scenes on them. But it's a genre I don't want to have any part of. Uh, yeah. The films that we're making, we're desperately trying to make good movies in the traditional sense of the word, that they're entertainment, that people go and watch and go, that, that was a really well-spent, you know, 90 minutes. I'm, I, I, I want to see what else these guys are doing. And it's, it's going back to basics. We're not shooting schedules. We don't give a shit how many days it took or how many setups we get in a day. We're trying to make a good, damned movie. You know, it takes yeah. a day's worth of rehearsal and we don't shoot a bloody thing until the following day, then that's what it's going to take because I make movies. Yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we don't make schedules. How do you feel sort of being labelled as, as an action movie director then? Do you, do you like that label? Any kind of label is fine with me. I don't, uh, yeah. I, I, there's no aspirations of, of grandeur on my part as a, as a person, but the films that we're trying to make, we're taking very seriously. We're trying to make, you know, really, really interesting entertainment for these folks now we're given a little bit more money each time so as far as we're concerned there's something that we're doing that's right and the films are make, yeah. making money and they're, they're they're gaining a foothold and you know popularity it's very very difficult when you are making films for companies that simply drop the film into the video basket you know at the end because they have an almost conveyor belt way of making money for example accident man we we did something we felt was theatrically worthy of a good release but the film was sort of you know put out with absolutely no fanfare whatsoever and and when you find yourself in that position scott and i rally and we put together what we have on social media you know his is his is you know extraordinarily you know sort of uh 4.2 million followers here and various different platforms he has that he runs that are that are, are very very popular and you you do whatever you can to make the film successful and uh, I think we were able to move it in seismic ways in a way that was amazing. But, but in truth, uh, the studio simply dropped the film. You know, there was, there was not even a, a week-long theatrical release put out, which, you know, a far smaller studio did for us on Debt Collector. You know, so you don't understand. We don't, don't, there's, no, there's no fairness to it. There's no real logic to it as well, because I couldn't understand why Accident Man was taking so long to come out here in the UK you couldn't get a more UK it was bloody filmed here and you're right because there's an established fan base there I mean Scott's following is huge and not only Scott but Michael Jai White and he had Ray Park Amy Johnston you know he had, had great people in it um it's just bizarre the releasing of some of these films I, don't, I can't get my head around it I adored working for Sony and they were fantastic bosses to have they were brilliant you yeah. know really really encouraging they gave us what we wanted uh they looked at the cast we had initially we had a few characters in there that were simply unknown english actors and they said no we like this script let's put bigger names in they put bigger names in it was it was brilliant and all the way through they loved the movie we had a wonderful relationship and then when it came to release the film it was it, it just went out on the conveyor belt with all the other sort of you know, uh, I, and I hesitate to call them B movies because they're not really anymore. They're just sort of uh, low budget uh, sequels and, and and this sort of thing, and with 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 nothing, nothing. You know, nothing more than a video, uh, a, a fun video cover. And it was very, you just confused at the end of that. You don't understand. You yeah. push and you push and you push, and uh, you know, the film was met with absolutely overwhelmingly positive reviews. Yep. People loved. Yeah. Uh, I don't think. We got negative reviews for that in any way that went after directing or, or acting or, or performance. That there were reviews where 
people said it's you know it was it was too Guy Ritchie this or whatever which you know Scott and I looked at and took them as, as extraordinary positives and and sort of uh, compliments yeah. you know do you take much from the reviews like do you do you read a lot of reviews of your own work does it does it does it bother you you know you, you can't take notice of the good ones or the bad ones really because it's all completely subjective and it's someone sitting in a room somewhere you know with a very very mediocre knowledge of of filmmaking that's not you know to diminish it because how you know it's a it's a funny business and not many people make a living making films anymore but uh you know they're writing their opinions on a film and they could have had a bad day they could have a fight with a girlfriend and you know <laughs> yeah. it, just, it just doesn't matter to me uh and you would be foolish to change your direction you know now you know if 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 there's an overwhelming tide shift towards something and they're not being good, then you you know you, you know you, you get a bit little wary of it, but you can't take too much notice of them, good or bad. Uh, yeah, I, I think watching a film on the big screen with an audience, uh, you, you, you have to have a sense of <laughs> when things aren't working or they are, and you can sense the audience. You're like, God damn it, why did I do that? <laughs> Cocky bastard! Please moderate your language. No need to talk like that. I think I'll beat the shit out of you. My understanding with Debt Collector in particular was a story, that was a story you and Scott had been working on, it had been gestating for for quite a number of years. I wrote the script about 10 or 15, uh, no, less than that, something like 10, 12 years ago. It kept almost getting made. We had Jean-Claude Van Damme attached to play French for the longest time. He'd call at midnight and talk for three hours about the script and and this and that. I don't think anything of him actually ever found its way into the script, except that he kept calling the character Frenchy, which I hated. And I said, no, it's French. And so eventually I put that, that conversation into the script. In, in the script, yeah. And she kept saying Mr. French and Frenchy. I said, no, no, the character is just French, JC. It's just French, not Frenchy or Mr. French. And I, I yeah. thought that conversation was quite funny. So that actually came from, that was, that was the one the one moment that came from development with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Michael Rooker and, and uh, Burt Reynolds were going to play the two leads at one point. So Eric Kritzer, who represents uh, both Lewis and Jean- uh, and uh, uh, Scott, was actually involved with the script from way back then as well. So it was on a lot of people's radar. It was a very fun script that people loved reading. But what often came back was, this is, un- this is unfilmable. This, this, this is not a film of this genre. Everyone loves it. All the martial arts guys love it. All the action guys love it. But it's the wrong film. It's not. It's not a, you know, B actioner. As the tide turned against those kind of movies, and those films became anachronisms in their own right. And you know, you know, no one, no one's interested in those those bloody movies anymore. They're they're ancient. You know, they're they're like uh, barbarian movies in in the eighties. They're not a genre that that is relevant anymore. You know, they are. The what do you get, the Kumite movie because everyone's seen UFC. It's, it's, it's not interesting. Yeah, <laughs> no, you guys have to fight to the death. Well, you know they do it every Saturday anyway. Go and watch it. You know, as that genre became less and less of interest to anyone, suddenly this script started to take on a, a life of its own. And uh, Scott and I, you know, started to try and develop it. it. Took about a year to redevelop it and update it because there were lots of sort of you know old comment you know ways of talking about things i think there were faxes and telexes and no cell phones funnily enough it, it works better now than it ever would have done you know yeah it's got a great pacing to it there's a great feel to it the martial arts elements to it then were sort of that was added in then once scott was involved in in the project is that yeah. is, is that right the only one that was added was the uh 
fight at the very beginning, which is in the dojo. And we yeah. we threw that around for a long, long time. And it that 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 was the one scene we all we all had had issues with because it was one scene that was being added added to the to the script. You know, uh, we went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And the trouble trouble with the initial script was it was a slow burn. It started very 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 slowly and brought you into it with scott you got to kind of come off the, a bit quicker and so you know yeah. you're constantly running that knife edge of appealing to this massive following that he has and not losing them but then also trying to branch out and do things that are a little more interesting for the for the rest so we <laughs> so the line where he says like a like a fucking martial arts movie was was what sort of fun for all of us there's some great lines in that and that that was a good one i liked the there was a nod to um low budget filmmaking as well where lewis mandela's looking at that poster of him as uh, uh in that ninja movie and i think he says i'm like well you know budgets nowadays i didn't know whether that was a, a nod to you know the worlds that um the debt collector inhabits i think everyone who works lower end jobs in la those kind of things like doorman bouncers Debt collectors, they they all have had a toe in the movie industry at some point, somewhere, yeah. because it's just the nature of this town. Or less so now, because everyone's going to Louisiana. But certainly at one point, everyone you ran into had worked on a movie of some type or another, or part time, or a little bit here, a little bit there, because the money is there and it's available, and it's it's you know if you're willing to work 18 hours a day doing something for hardly anything, there's someone somewhere that will throw you to work on a movie, you know. But yes, was it a reflection of? Art imitating life, possibly. Do you think you know you can still put your own mark, your own stamp on, on a film like this? Uh, you know, irrespective of the money that um, that these these films are given. To a certain degree, you're always doing a Rubik's cube of what you can do with the amount of money that you have, and you're 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 forced you're forced very very much into into certain decisions. Uh, but then your skill, uh, your your challenge as a uh, as a filmmaker is to try and make make the film interesting and and idiosyncratic and understanding you know which battles are worth fighting and which ones you just have to kind of step back from say this is going to happen off camera or we can't do this just it's silly that must be the trickiest part particularly if you're you know wedded you've written the script and you're wedded to particular parts of the story and then you know something's got to give hasn't it at the end of the day once you're in that editing room yeah i mean you become you know it becomes your it becomes your you become slave to the film itself and you can't allow your own ego as a film maker to to imp- you know it's a it's a battle you know it's a battle what do I have to yeah. do and what does the film what does the story require and there and when when they stray apart you've got to be very careful to make sure you're listening to what it is the story needs not how it took mm. you to set up the shot or how great it will look on your reel or, or, or bragging rights. And, and none of that shit means anything to me anyway. I, I don't really care anymore. You know, there's enough of these films in my resume that I've, I've played and, and done all those things that that people sort of like to brag about. What, what it becomes about now is making a movie, making a really, really interesting film. Are you quite, you're quite happy where you are now? Like, are you in the place where you wanted to be? Uh, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. You are, you're always desperately trying to, trying to up your game. You're always trying to get more budget. You're always trying to work with bigger and more, you know, more interesting actors. That's, that's, you know, that's the drive. That's, that's the burning, yeah. the burning desire. You, you're never, ever happy. And you've got to be careful watching your pictures. If you look at your finished film and you go, 
I'm happy with that, you know. No, yeah. no you're not. No, of course not. You must have come closer. What's the What's the movie you're most proud of? Uh, in terms of being able to sit and watch in the theatre, I was I was amazed that I sat and watched Debt Collector all the way through, and I analysed myself afterwards because usually I, I I have to run. I'm I'm gone by about five or seven minutes into the picture. I have to step outside right. because it's just too ag- agonising. You see all the things that you'd like to fix. You know the things that went wrong and the, you know things you're frustrated with and. And you, you, you know, you love you love the picture because you put a certain amount of your soul into it, but but it's unwatchable at that point. The film's done; there's nothing you can do, and that that fate is 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 spoken for. You know, so it's mm. it's, it's painful. But with with Debt Collector, I actually watched it all the way through, and I and, and on analysing myself afterwards and why I could watch this film from beginning to end, I realised it's Scott and Lewis, and it's the performance and everything that they did. That I had nothing to do with, I found so interesting, and it was it was you know the, the the depth and the nuance that they brought to these way beyond what I had asked them to and, and had any idea of because they're so much better act, at acting than I am, you know. Uh, it was it, it made it a wonderful experience, and I sat and watched the beginning yeah. through to the end and, and laughed where I should have laughed and uh, got got lost lost in the story, and it was nothing to do with my storytelling. Christ, no, no, it was to do with the two of them, you know, and it's like. Wow. These guys are really, really, you know, they're, they're, they're freestyling here and it's fun to watch. Hey, stop it. That's enough. We're extraordinarily lucky to be able to do it. You know, it's a very tough time right now to get movies made. This is one of the most brutal times ever for making low-budget movies because you you have, a sh- you know, a massive uh, divide between studio pictures, which are, you know, 30, 40 million and up, and then you have low budget, which is a million and below, and you can't make a living making those pictures. It's impossible. No, you can't. You can't. No. You know, it's it's slave labour, and so, you know, to have found ourselves in this little island of, you know, in the Midian is it was very very lucky, you know. And uh, I don't think anyone there is another Scott Atkins at the moment. I don't think there is anyone, you know, his age, young, who is you know who is doing this kind of film and we have to be really careful that these pictures are good you know because uh we relax and, and, and make a crappy movie and it's going to go away and we, we may not get a second you know another shot at it so it's a uh, it's a really really interesting time it's it's a it's a strange time and it's sort of sort of sad because the b movies for me in the 50s 60s and right in cell block 11 and don siegel's pictures were interesting they were great they were yeah they were able to explore characters and dramatic situations and stories that the studio couldn't uh, you know when they were doing their a films they couldn't do that they had to be careful they had to be politically correct they had to be very polished and homogenous they were great movies they're wonderful to watch but the b movies were interesting but you lower the budgets down to where they are now and the only guys that are prepared to make these pictures are complete amateurs you know and Mm-hmm. say it's it's a detrius it's you know the films are unwatchable for the most part I don't, I don't i don't understand how there's any any you know other than the fact that perhaps no one's getting any money for them i don't know i, I i'm not a, a producer or an analyst or a, a distributor so it's a it's a very strange time right now when you were growing up then were your what were your sort of film reference points there i mean were you into the martial arts films that kind of stuff gr- growing up were i you... loved enter the dragon that was a semi yeah. picture for me and i liked uh, the killer elite which was sam peckinpah's ninja bit i loved yeah. the ninjas in uh, you only live twice i i was very i was very interested in that but i but i wasn't a fan of the the Trimite movies i also felt they were terribly unrealistic and it was a 
it was it was more muscular guys showing off for the camera and and, and I, I i fought a lot of martial arts I, I studied fighting i studied all of all of every this every discipline that i could get my fingers on living yeah. living in maidenhead and berkshire and you know I, I think i was a member of seven different martial arts clubs and would train pretty much every night uh and loved it but if you actually train martial arts and you watch a lot of those sort of 80s films that they're, they're, they're utterly unrealistic and and yeah. it, it frustrated me and I, I i also felt the filmmaking was subpar as well uh mm-hmm. i i you know i, I like the films of sam peckinpah robert altman robert aldrich aldrich and uh those were the films that really made me tick you know and uh you, you, you know these were great storytellers they were great with actors uh and they were great with action at that time you had a very interesting time because you had the vhs video store so you'd walk in you yeah. would be attracted by a fantastic cover you know a brilliant cover like the exterminator movies or or you know, yeah. airbrushed and fantastic sort of you know fantastic graphics and you take it home and watch it and go good god this is awful by default i was i ended up going towards the better filmmakers and studying their work and reading you know every book i could on sam peckinpah every book i could on don siegel every book i could on robert aldrich on john ford on howard hawks on on the cats who's you didn't feel ripped off when you when you bought the films there's one thing being sort of obsessed with films but then thinking well i'm gonna make a film you know that's quite a that's quite a leap there so i'm just wondering do, can you remember that sort of light bulb moment when you thought oh, okay that's that's what i want to do my family are in movies and i i had left school at 14 or 15 to become a uh, uh what they call a t-boy a, you know coffee t- t- runner at pioneer studios yeah uh, with, we should say that you're um, you're the nephew of Vic Armstrong, so uh, there is there is that that's a direct connection there straight away. At the time, Vic was a stunt coordinator, and he was one of the top yeah. in the business. Uh, when I got into business, he was just finishing Rambo Three, and you know he'd done the the, the second two uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, and was you know also doubling Harrison Ford. So it was very 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 successful. And then my my other uncle Andy Armstrong was a uh, first assistant director, who was you know, coming up to be an action unit director as well. And he'd done Highlander and also Rambo and a lot of the James Bond movies. So within my family, it wasn't such a major uh, sort of rebellion to leave school at 14, 15 and get straight into the game. You know, parents were sort of a bit, oh, they didn't really care, actually. I don't think it was less money for them to worry about for college, but it was... But it was sort of, and also I was a little bit of a wayward one anyway. So it was like, yeah, get into the business, learn, learn. And, and at 14, 15, it was carrying his stunt bag and then uh, on, on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and then sort of going into stunts and PAing and T-boy and all that kind of stuff where you're running around and trying to learn your craft. Uh, but it became very, very evident that the, the business had shifted and it wasn't the way to make it anymore. And the best you could hope for starting as a T-boy was to become a, a line producer, you know, uh, you know, any, anything above the line was coming in from from uh, from college or film school, but this, of course, didn't become apparent until I was sort of, you know, my my late teens, early twenties, and it was way too late to go back to college or do anything. So you just have to stick to the route you're at, you know. Uh, which is why I yeah. recommend everyone nowadays go into into film school because trying to work your way up through the through the ranks is just it's it's just too difficult and it just doesn't lead to a creative position anymore. You start to think very much more of the schedule than you do of the script, and that's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. And it took me a long time to relearn that. You know, I had a massive problem in my my directing career. I I, I did a film that I thought was a, a cool artistic movie. I, I got aspirations of grandeur, and it put me out of work for a couple of years. It was a black and white movie, 
Is that the the beautiful ones? Yeah. And yeah. And at that point, realizing that I had to ask for my stunt bag back, and I had to go back to doing stunts. Yeah. I I am very very upset. I I went off and did Thor with Kenneth Branagh, the Master with Pete Anderson, and uh, Lincoln with Steven Spielberg. And that year and a half or whatever it ended up being was possibly one of the greatest re, you know, reimaginations of, of it, it was just, a, it was a seismic event in my life because I realized yeah. that was, that was the epiphany. I'd been doing it completely wrong. I was shooting these schedules and I was making films for people in 16 days and every producer loved me, but the films were absolute shit, you know? And, uh, and I, I'd lost my, I totally lost my way. And you don't realize in the moment, in the moment I was frustrated because I was back doing stunts and I wasn't directing and it was terribly, terribly upsetting and to my ego. And then somewhere along the line, I realized, holy God, I'm sitting at the shoulder of one of the greatest living directors, not only once, but three times in a row, listening to their motivations, listening, yeah. watching their process for the first time, really watching and being able to be a uh, intrinsic part of it. And it was like, the, this 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 is i've been doing it wrong oh my god because <laughs> you have gone on records and, and said that those movies that you were doing in the in the 2000s you're not you're not a massive fan of your own work is that fair to say in that in that time time period it was a learning period listen i i put my heart and soul into those pictures i yeah i just what it was it was not as it it was not with great experience and knowledge that i was making those pictures and i i was learning my craft but then charlie valentine that got picked up some awards and the butchers are a great movie as well you were you were making good i mean they're, they're good movies jesse i'm not saying i wasn't a good scriptwriter. uh i think i was yeah. a pretty darn darn good scriptwriter. but in adapting that script to the screen I made compromises as a storyteller I should never have made. And sure. I did things with both of those movies that made them far lesser films than they should have been. You know, uh, mm. no, I've always been, a, I've always had an imagination and a, uh, I, I'm very proud of the scripts going all the way back to the very beginning. Pit by the script was a phenomenal script. It was a yeah. subpar movie, you know, uh, as a director, I had to relearn my craft. I had to learn my craft, I, maybe. Uh, and I was very lucky in retrospect to have done that year and a half as a as a stuntman with those other with those incredible directors i mean those yeah. brilliant brilliant and very very different directors and it was a uh, it was a life changing a life changing place for me to see that they didn't give a shit about the schedule really it was about making a great movie you know watching what but is that and i mean they they're dealing with you know their, their shooting schedules are, are, are huge they've got you know they spend months on those movies that is, that is a very valid point but you have to yeah. adapt that that's not the excuse is it it's and and learning that that isn't the excuse and learning how to make the film that you want within that is the challenge i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You help me and we'll split the money. Did Vic give you any advice? Was he quite uh, helpful with regards to that? Listen, he's a very, very pragmatic, intelligent, and extraordinarily gifted man. He's from a different generation. He's from, you know, he's my grandfather. They, they worked very, very hard. They were blue collar. My grandfather was a farrier and a blacksmith from Glasgow. You know, these guys up yeah. at five in the morning and worked very hard. They were very, very pragmatic and blue collar with no aspirations of, of sort of artistry or, or sort of, you know, sort of highfalutin ideas. And, and so yeah. Vic adapted that and has done very well. Uh, but he has an incredible artistry and has never repeated himself. His big, his big thing is never to repeat, always to strive to make it better. And that's a sense of dedication, which is insane, you know, because yeah. you know, so many people usually default to what they've done before. And yeah, we can do this and, 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 and ring this on and we know it works. Let's give it a shot. But with him, even on other people's pictures, when he's directing action unit for another director, he's pushing to push the boundaries and make it just that much better. And it's a sense of professionalism, which is, which is amazing. And it's old school. It really is uh, yeah. cliche. So his advice was always very pragmatic and you kind of had to sit on it for a few days yeah. years before it actually resonated you know oh shit i get what he's saying and yeah. it wasn't meant like sage like coming from a buddha where you have to interpret it but in many ways it is because he's speaking as a man from the 1950s you know and in entering the stunt world i mean that you couldn't have a a, a better role model uh, really could you i guess when you're starting out in that world very pragmatic again when Vic was doing a high fall and he'd never done a high fall before he talked to me about it he said it took two weeks you know he went out and he started at 10 feet you know he did that all day all day long till you raise it up to you know you know learning your aerial coordination take it up to 15 feet yeah. take it up to 20 feet take it up to 40 take it up to 70 take it up to 75 take it up to 100 and now and now you're at 100 feet and you you know what you're doing and i got very bored i thought why can't you just go from 10 feet and take it all the way up to 100 and it's like but, but you die if you do that and, but that's not mentioned <laughs> that's not, you know uh but but that's how he approached every facet and and his directing and his knowledge of camera came from 10 feet 20 feet 30 feet what lenses to use who to work with and bringing the right people in for the job not not people that your friends if that was if they were a friend that was a great thing but bring the right person the right qualified person in yeah because that's the reputation is that you know the stunt world is just full of cowboys and you know it's you know but it's not and i get a vic was very much instrumental in changing that perception really wasn't and he it? came in for a lot of flack because the boys you know the boys club that had associated you know that had become the stunt men were making a lot of money and they didn't like that he yeah. was bringing in guys that were world-class olympian athletes who could do the job and make the director and the film look fantastic. You know, he they, they didn't like that. And he came in for an enormous amount of flack. I mean, physical intimidation and, you know, I mean, death threats. I, I, it was it was incredible. Wow. It's difficult to say now because everyone 
does it mix method now. Now you bring in the best person for the job. But when he was doing it, it was a closed shop. And these guys all broken nose, scar faced, you know, they'd all worked for the craze, all these, you know, I mean, they're yeah. interesting bunch of characters. They all love, they all love him now because he's done such an awful lot of good for the stunt industry. And he's, he's legitimized yeah. it in many, many ways. He was the groundbreaking force behind that, you know, Oscar winning and, you know, and now, but there's still there's still no um, you know academy recognition at the Oscars for um, you know action directors and That's that tough. sort of thing. It's very tough. And if I were to tell a quick anecdote that explains a little bit of the psychology, it would be you know a screening of the stagecoach sequence in in Stagecoach with John Ford at the front of the theatre and the producer I think it's uh, Marion C Cooper and uh, and Yakima Canute who's the stunt coordinator and the performer in that particular sequence sitting in there so it's three people in the in the audience and they're watching this sequence and it's breathtaking it's breathtaking today if you watch it he yeah. climbs underneath the horses goes underneath the horses underneath the cart which could have you know severed in like a like a razor blade up over the back of the cart and then stops the horses it's it's a, it's a very very exciting sequence and as it ended Marion C Cooper looked over at Yakima Canute and said, you've made this film, Yak. You've made it. You've made the film. Fantastic. Congratulations. And in his biography, Yakima Canute, who was the stuntman, said, said at that point he knew he was fucked. <laughs> and he never worked with John Ford again. He said he looked down at John Ford, and John Ford looked just slightly over his right shoulder, just enough to let them both know he'd heard all of this congratulating going on. And he never worked for Ford again. Yeah. That, was, that was the last time. That psychology, that ego, is what is stopping uh, the the stunt category in, in the Oscars, is in my opinion. Yeah. If you start handing out awards for sequences, for for, for action, for for uh, inventiveness within these movies, especially some of the big action movies, there's nothing left. <laughs> there's only <laughs> there's only three minutes of dialogue, and you know, and the rest, you know. So what, you know, you're, you're taking all of the credit away from the first unit director, and that's going to be a tough thing to do. Sure. Anyway, sure. my opinion. Don't be tricked by him. He's got iron feet. I believe your first sort of stunt role was on Total Recall. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That's not a bad. Uh, <laughs> that's not a bad one to start on. It's wonderful being being on that picture. I, I, and I'm a huge fan of Verhoeven, so in, in many respects it was pivotal. But I mean, to go from that to then be like, well, I'm going to move out to Los Angeles uh, and leave the UK. I mean, that's quite a big. That's quite a big uh, step, isn't yeah, it? I took every penny I made on Total Recall. I made a film in England and, and then some music videos, and they were doing pretty good. I got one in number twenty-eight. I think it was on top of the pops and. Okay. There's some stuff going on, but it's very, very difficult to make films in England at the time. It was pre, just just before Guy Ritchie. You did film school. You went to Beaconsfield. You 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 know you know postgraduate course there. And did you do all of that then? You did go to film school here, and you trained and did went through. I, I'd that. left school at fourteen, fifteen. So it was so I, there. I am this this upstart trying trying to start a business, making movies. And it was like the mighty wind. Uh, you know, I, I had a film that was going. We had the chimney sweep doing special effects. We had the local hairdresser from her little store down the end of Altwood Road had come in to do makeup. And yep. I, I'm pulling all these people in that, that that aren't really interested in making movies. I'm just kind of, you know, whipping some kind of enthusiasm into them. And it was a struggle every step of the way. It was hilarious, really, really funny. And listen, I would have carried on doing it, but I made a trip to Los Angeles. And... Every other 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old wanted to make movies. They were devoted to it like I was. This strange, obnoxious weirdness that I thought was unique to me 
I suddenly found I was normal over there. It was it was like it was like a it was it was a it was a life changing moment. And you you were, oh yeah. my god, I'm in the wrong country, you know. Uh, uh, and so I I you know sold everything I had, which came to about nine hundred dollars, and and moved. You know, you were just determined at that age. You were just like, no, this is this is the place I need to be. And if you're going to make things happen, then you know <clears throat> Hollywood is is where you go for your fame and fortune, isn't it? Yeah, but there's a, there's a great fear that drives a young man. You know, there's a great fear of failure. Yeah. There's a there's a great fear of running out of time. As a young man, you have that. It's it, and I'm no different to any other. You have that implanted in you. At 17, 18, 19, all you want to do is take over the world. You know, you can do it. You can do it. And if you find yourself in in England. At that time, it was impossible to do what I wanted. It was terrible. It was, you know, everyone's telling you, when are you going to get a proper job? And then to have, to have made this visit and suddenly found yourself amongst like-minded people, it would, the risk would have been staying in the UK, not making the trip to the US. Would you um, use that advice again uh, nowadays to any sort of budding young filmmakers, particularly in the UK? Uh, the reason I ask is there's so much filming does take place here in the UK now that it is the the landscape's slightly changed since then, hasn't it? Slightly changed. It's it's utterly changed. I, I say yeah. stay in England and make great movies and get get called wherever you go. Get get the get the call to go there. Don't. But, but it was it's it's completely different. It's a different time. I think Guy Ritchie yeah. changed that totally. You know, uh, making these fantastic movies set in in London and some, you know it, it changed. And people were going there to make movies. People accepted accepted that there was an English film industry again. But that hadn't happened. And it was it was rich, basically rich people that were making movies. And they would go three months between jobs because they could afford to. I couldn't. I you know I would starve. So for me, the risk was not leaving England. I mean, I won't reel off all the titles, but Mars Attacks, Thin Red Line, Galaxy Quest, Planet of the Apes, Charlie's Angels, big, you know, mainstream Hollywood stuff. Um, you must have been picking up bits on set and learning. Is that fair to say? It's, it's, it's tough on a lot of those pictures. On those earlier films, I'm working as an ND stuntman or a stunt double, and you're a lot further removed from the creative process. You know, you, you are very much in your trailer, yeah. with your pants on, and there's a knock at the door, and you know, the, the, <laughs> you know, the, the stunt's pointed out, you'll probably have rehearsed it ahead of time, and, and, and you're a professional. You go in and do it, and, and, and do it, you know, with full energy, 10 or 12 times, and you go back to your trailer. So there's, there's less involvement with the creative process as a performer, but it's a, it's a wonderful way to make a living, and it's mm. great because you you know in, in three days can make the money that you need for a month's wages, and you spend the rest of the time sort of uh, writing and struggling and hustling your directing work. So it was it was a fantastic fantastic thing for me, and 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 a really really you know honourable career. I like it, you know. But and, and to you it was sort of a, a means to an end in the sense that you had these ideas for your own projects, and you were going to fund them, <laughs> however way you could. It was always at the back of my mind, but yeah. uh, but you have to focus on being a stuntman. You can't yeah. be thinking about, I want to be a director. I really want to be doing that. You put that aside. You shut that closet door, and you work very very hard on 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 being a good stuntman. And for for several years, it was my you know my goal to be as good as I possibly. I you know trained horses, cars, motorcycles, martial arts, high falls, you know uh, stair falls, burns. You went out and you became the best you possibly could be, and yeah. I enjoyed yeah. doing it, and and really enjoyed the discipline of doing it. <laughs> Oh, it is you. I was right. The thing for me was, after you know, I studied a lot of bloody martial arts and was in a lot of, you know, did the whole cadet thing and I was fascinated with wanting to be a Royal Marine Commando for the longest time. And that was like my two twin passions. You know, I did the uh, potential officers course at Limston and 
and, and, and got quite badly injured. And, and, and that was when Vic said, you should come and do stunts for me instead of fucking around with the military. It doesn't pay enough. And it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, a, and you know, that was that point that the Royal Marines, you know, made a fantastic decision, decided not to have me. <laughs> but you could have, that was your passion then, was it? Did you want it? You wanted to join the Royal Marines? Well, for a little while. Yeah. Between that yeah. and making movies, I was not quite sure. Like all 17 year olds, you're a little bit confused. But, yeah. but what, what it did, allow me to be privy to was an awful lot of fist fights <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you see people fight in real life even trained fucking killers martial artists yeah it never looks anything like it does in these movies and i knew that inherently from the very get-go there was a dishonesty involved in all of these pictures uh and as much as i love the gymnastic aspect of it you know it just didn't look like that most of them ended up on the floor yeah. with elbows and head butting and, and biting and gouging and punching and it was it was interesting it made your heart beat like crazy to see a real fight especially if you're right there you know uh so there was something extraordinarily dramatic about it but it was not what i was seeing and and so there was there was at some point a revert you know a feeling of i'm just not interested in these pictures they're so they're so i mean it's like watching a busby berkeley musical it's it's fake you know now, when I started getting those pictures to direct, then it was a different matter. I, I knew I was obligated to deliver a certain kind of picture. In fact, there's a contract that says you've got to you've got to deliver this picture with 15 minutes worth of action, and the action has to be martial arts in basis. And I think three times in my career I've had had a contract like that. Is it that really that prescriptive? Yep. The picture I directed with Stone Cold and Steve Austin. It was very explicit. Stone Cold has to fight hand to hand, and it has to be this much of the film, you know, and it has to be spread throughout the film. You can't shoot it all in one day and have it all in the opening sequence. It, it, it has to be spread throughout the film for this film to be okay. And that was the memorandum. It wasn't about great story or characters or, or anything like that. It was, it was how much action per, per minute of screen time. I guess it's difficult when you're dealing in that sort of genre where you've got a name immediately attached to a product. It's going to be because they're like brands themselves, aren't they? So you're, you're sort of yeah aligning yourself to that brand, I guess. But, but listen, the, the distributor has already pre-sold that film in the foreign market based upon that cast. So that film is already a contract by the time you are brought on to direct. So if you something sure. that defaults on that contract, they default on their contract, they lose money. And they're left with a turkey they can't sell. So it's, you know, the, the, it's not, you don't take offense at it. You either say yes to the job or you say no, you know. Your challenge as a filmmaker is to try and weave as much artistry and creativity into that formula as you possibly can, but still adhering to what your boss wants, you know. You read reviews afterwards. Why did Johnson hire Don the Dragon? Why did Johnson decide to work with and you're like you know these guys were on the project but in in, in in don's case don hired me you know but being a director and having your because it's your name it's your um reputation as well isn't it that's at stake when you put your name to something sometimes you just have to say no and you just have to walk away and it hurts you know i've got a family to feed i've got bills to pay and yeah. you're looking at this project and you're thinking oh my god i could use this i was offered a horror movie and it was my break into horror movie directing i'd really wanted to do that because i felt that would be a really nice direction for my career to go i had to walk away and oh god it hurts <laughs> yeah it hurts it hurts my blue collar background it hurts everything because you're looking at money real money and you know how difficult it is to finance a movie you know how difficult it is to find money to make films and this film was financed it was ready to go and i had to turn my back because i knew the train wreck that it was going to become 
wouldn't help my career it would work against it in every every way imaginable you know and you're selling yourself mm-hmm. you're selling your soul short when you do a bad movie you're you're copping out you're you know fucking with your integrity and that's a very dangerous thing to do as a creative person you know and can you feel that on a set when you're like oh god no this is not this is not working i mean can you can you feel that or is it but being a director it's your job to keep a it is you know keep everyone enthused as well it is it is but sometimes sometimes strange things happen where you're not quite sure what's going on and you have to keep your fucking mouth shut Scott and I had an experience like that with Louis. You know, we did a day's worth of filming with him, and neither of us on on Debt Collector knew what he was doing. It was all this coughing and spluttering and whispering and weird shit. He wouldn't take his fucking glasses off, and he's all, and it's like, what the fuck is what what what's he? And I said to Scott, "What's he doing?" He's, I think he's got. You think he's dying of cancer? He keeps coughing up all this phlegm and spitting it all over the place. None of it was in the script, and uh, we watched. You know, watching it, it was. We thought we were in. A, we'd made a huge mistake, and then in the second day, I let it go. I said, "Just, just let it be. Just let it be. Let's see. You know, we, we're, we're screwed because it was a huge scene, so we can't replace him because we're ne- we don't have the money to come back and shoot that whole day. You know, it was mm. it was a huge amount of dialogue. It was all the stuff in the car waking up and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we're absolutely terrified. I went. We went home and you know, exhausted, eighteen hour day or whatever. And what did the next day's film? He's doing the same damn thing. But now it's starting to sort of become apparent that there's a methodology behind it. It's not it's not going on between the takes. It's only when the you know, and it seems so, so like naive to say this now. But you have to understand no one else on a film set is watching performance on a low budget film. Everyone's just focused on their own world. You and maybe the lead actor are literally the only people who give a turd. You know, things go by, you know things can happen and no one notices literally even the sound man's got his sound thing there and it could be absolute crap and he all he's listening to is whether the sound quality is good or not he's not listening to the dialogue it's it's a very lonely experience in many ways it's awesome in many yeah. but but we're still looking at each other and then finally we i think it was around the lunchtime we started reviewing some of this stuff back and realized that he'd outclassed both of us and he's going after something which is so brilliant and so so unique and individualistic and absolutely immersed in this fucking character and it was like a it was like a gong going off and both of us realized oh my god he's he's so far ahead of us with this we have to we're gonna have to work hard now to keep up and 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 it was like a light going on in scott's eyes i saw it happen in front of and he's like oh shit you know i'm gonna have to work at it What was it about Savage Dog that brought you back? Was it working with Scott and that was the catalyst where you were like, no, we've got a, a good idea here, we've got a great team and this is this is the one? Savage Dog was a, you know, listen, I hadn't worked because I'd made a film that was too artistic. So I went through my, my scripts and I found a script that was absolutely set up for action and martial arts and all of the things that, distributors like and I took out everyone loved it I had Kung Lee attached to play the lead in it uh they said we love it but he's not you know we can't finance it with him if you can get Scott we'll finance this movie uh so I called Kung first who's a dear friend and I said look you know this is where I am on this he said don't worry don't worry I've got I'm going off to do this tv show you know into the badlands anyway so I'm not going to be available till the end of the summer that's fine that's fine go go make your movie and which was the most amazingly generous and uh, unselfish and professional yeah. thing that I have ever run into. And for that reason, I will be an admirer of Kung Lee's for the rest of my life. As far as I'm concerned, that man is a warrior with the integrity and the honor 
of a of an old world middle ages knight he's 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 yeah. one of he's a rare human being and in hollywood he's 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 an absolute diamond and he gave me my career you know because i then called scott scott liked the script and we had a film you know i wanted to bolster that film as much as possible you know so i called in as many of my pals as as i could you know and they came and did favors marco zawar came in and did me a favor kung lee came back after his time on his stint on the tv show and he did me a favor for a few days and keith david and these folks came in and literally literally said we love you jess uh probably probably lying about that part and and we'll do we'll do this for you and we were able to put a lot of names on screen and really do something that that was you know i mean it was nothing it was you know i don't even want to admit to what the what the budget was it was very yeah and it was a tough shoot as well wasn't it it was, it was brutal and i mean lost yeah. so much weight you know it was hair raising uh that it that we completed the film was was something i'm i'm amazed by you know uh, yeah. That film has yeah. sold and done great business is is tantamount to proof that there's some kind of an you know heaven a, a Hollywood heaven where people give you a second shot you know you're quite happy to continue that working relationship and see where it goes Scott and I are in similar place with that we love working with each other but it's great to then go off and do other pictures with other 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 folks because you know that rounds your career as well it's not a and it's certainly not exclusive and in any any sense of the word you know i'm really excited to see what he brings from it man you know what a great thing that is getting that role there and i i met him just before he he wouldn't tell me what he said he said he just got this thing and he was flying out to do it but he couldn't say anything you know in china they love that you know and the rest of the world they look at scott as a superstar in in the english speaking the us and the uk you know we're still trying to push him it tells you how how completely upside down the businesses here you know you'll, yeah. you'll find these studios falling over backwards over some dodgy old sort of picture that they've decided to invest in and they've got right on there right in front of them they've got a filmmaking team or and a lead actor who 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 are who are doing pictures that have and i'm not saying hundreds of thousands of fans abroad but millions of fans and it's, it's yeah. it defies all logic you know uh, it doesn't make any sense, you know. You've got you've got Scott. You've got you've got a literal tidal wave of of people in the Middle East, in India, in China, in Hong Kong, in Russia, uh, in the former Soviet Union, who are obsessed with him. And so it's up to us to make these pictures up there. And, and and listen, we'll keep throwing punches. We've got more energy and more stamina than the rest of them. You're probably going to get a pretty tasty reaction from uh, Triple Threat when that comes out, because that's like <laughs> every martial arts star who's anyone is in that movie. So you know, you must you must be secretly excited about the release of that. that I am. Movie. I'm terrified it's going to leak before it comes out. I'm really really concerned. Uh, the the qualification for financing from China was that it has a China theatrical ahead of everyone else. And that's just terrifying because we all know the moment anything comes out in China, it's available within 24 hours everywhere else in the world. Yeah. And I mean, that can be really damaging that, can't it? We have WellGo USA who are very enthusiastic about the film and want to do a theatrical on the picture, but they, they have their hands tied until the China release, at which point the day and date it's announced they can obviously jump on it and they'll do this theatrical and it's a bloody good movie the action is outrageous tim yeah. and scott and, and tony jar well all of the guys all of the guys you know tim man uh was the, the the cohesive glue that pulled everything together but each of these guys had a hand in their own choreography 
and it's it's so unique to watch you know eco what he brought to his character what what tiger chen brought to his character what michael jai white brought to his character and they they we've given them a platform that no one has no one has done before and we do not skimp on the action on this picture and it's a fun picture all of them are very very interesting what i love about it is we have you know our three asian leads with the westerners as the bad guys which is yeah. what, what what has become the norm and they are very charismatic eco is an extraordinarily charismatic actor and i mean you know it's no it's no surprise that peter berg put him in mile 22 for me none whatsoever yeah his career has just gone just really taken off now hasn't tony jar is a force of nature i mean he's, he's yeah. somewhat akin to meeting a god when you meet him you know, yeah. just this his whole bearing and and the way that he the way that he moves the way that he talks the it, it's it's absolutely fascinating and uh you know, you, you, you just, it's just a lucky thing for a director to have. But I was going to ask you, Jess, it, it, it is, but you must have felt a little bit pressured in that each of those guys have such a huge following, just just individually. You've got to cater for, for everyone's sort of market in a way and give it's everyone enough uh, an screen time. burden of responsibility, an enormous burden of responsibility. And every single evening in the mornings, I was rewriting, reworking, along with Mike Selby and myself, we... we put the script together you know there, there was a basis for a script that we were handed from that point on obviously it was adapted each time a new cast member came and and you know uh, we we had to do that there and it was it was terrifying you know the initial script that people read they didn't quite understand and then you're you're literally carving and creating it as you go along and there's nothing quite like it, it was one of the most exciting exciting creative processes of my career and i'm very honored to have been able to work on it i i desperately campaigned for Scott to play the bad guy at the beginning. I just finished shooting Accident Man and knew what he was capable of. And I wanted a strong, strong adversary for these guys. I didn't want to hire some, some martial artist that couldn't act very well. And I, I, I made it an enormous, enormous overture to get him out there. Scott wanted to be there as well. And and we, we did that. We made it work. It was a really, really good uh, collaboration on it, on every front. And the actors were all so well behaved. There was there were no egos. And I had scenes with eight martial artists in it in some in some moments, and and those can those can get tricky. No one wants to be the guy that loses, but we had something on that set that I've never had before, and it was a it was a uh, a calming factor, and that calming factor came in the shape of of, of Mike Bisping, who at the time was the world champion of UFC, yeah. and and he never said anything, he never did anything aggressive. But if there were any, if there was anyone who was pretending to be a little more, a little tougher than they actually were, shall we say, there was an instant, instant reality check. And he, just, and his sense of humour made that set so much fun. And it went from being what it could have been, which was an aggressive group of Taipei's all competing for attention, to being a really fun family with a lot of, you know, raunchy jokes and silliness going on and. Everyone yeah. trying to help with the story, and 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 basically they they'd get to set in the morning, and the directors' chairs would be put in a circle, so they could all tell stories and joke with each other and make fun of each other, and uh, you know who was falling off their diet. And it was it was and it, it was down to to Bisping creating this wonderful wonderful environment. To this day, he doesn't quite grasp what it is when I thank him, I'm, you know you know because he's so self-effacing and sort of a, a yeah. modest. He's like, no, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? I just came, you know. But but his presence made that film so much fun, and. Uh, and he's very interesting in the film. He's very, very scary. And, uh, and you know, I, a lot of these guys, not all of them, but a lot of the martial artists I find apply the same sense of discipline they did to the doing the press-ups and the running and the hitting the bag to the actual craft of acting. If someone's disciplined and there to work, 
it makes life a lot easier. He he really he really does bring it. You know, I'm very very excited about the film. So that that is going to be is that's a summer release, isn't it? So it's not too far away. It all now? depends on the Chinese release. It was primarily a, a Chinese production, so obviously that that's that means that they get the choice over the day and date of release, sure, and sure. At, at that point everything goes. You know, so hopefully everyone can coordinate and get together and make it work. Mike uh, Gabori, who is the head of production, who I worked directly with, it was, a, it was a really, really good relationship. I pushed them very hard to get more and more out of them. I, I felt we needed more time to do the fights, and we, we, put, we put more time into those, more effort, brought more stunt guys in, more, more guys from the West. We had a fantastic Thai crew, you know, about 150 people, because that's how it works there, that were run by Mike Selby, the, co, you know, the co-producer. And they would, everyone was really top-notch. And it was, it was just the most wonderful experience. You bastard. I didn't know who you were. Read Ilya Kazan's, you know, on life, you know, his, his book on directing. He says, look closely at any picture of any director that you truly admire. They'll probably be smiling for the camera, but look at the eyes. And there's a, yeah. there's a steeliness, a determination, a, a, and a, a pugilistic nature. I often ask, you know, when I'm working with distributors and they've got another director who's done a film and it's they're quite proud of that film, I find myself being really nosy and asking questions. You've been to his house? What's his house look like? You know, what kind of car? What kind of car does he drive? I'm just just fascinated, you know, because unless you're independently wealthy, it's also a very difficult way to make a living at the moment, you know. Uh, yeah. DGA is great, but that's a handful of directors in the DGA making money. The rest of us who are on the outskirts, non-union working. You're working from hand to mouth, you know, and whatever else you do on the side is, is you know, you know, deals and writing and you're shifting and trying to get advances. And it's it's a full time job. I'm finding more and more. Most of these guys live in, you know, in shared apartments downtown and drive beaten, beaten up cars because, I mean, it's, you know, this this almost like a drug adult addiction to, to, to making these pictures if you do it with any kind of yeah. heart and soul well look at scott i mean bloody hell he how many films does he make a year like he's he's just on one and then he's on to the next on to the next he also, isn't he? So... he also compartmentalizes when you talk about a movie or a character and he's able to talk in great depth about that movie and that character and then shift to the next character and 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 it's it's you know if he were a politician he'd probably be a, a president or a uh yeah <laughs> all right head of head of some government group somewhere because he's he's so incredibly dedicated to to the task at hand and yeah. you know learning his craft perfecting it making it better each time watching for potholes watching for what's going to go wrong watching inherently into the smaller characters in the movie because it how how it affects his character so it's 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 fascinating it's always always an education working with him yeah yeah would you return to the uk jesse to live Absolutely. I, yeah. I don't care where I live. I love making movies. And, uh, you know, that's that's my thing. Uh, the kind of movies I made have been sort of action movies with guns and explosions and, and stunts in them. And for that part, I've been and special effects. I've been more inclined to film in America because all of my contacts are here. You know, I'm able to make films that look like they cost a lot more than they did here in England. I yeah. feel a little I'm a little nervous going in each time because uh you know, I'm, I'm almost a foreigner, even though I'm English. I, I, you know, I've spent more of my adult life in the US, you know. Listen, Jesse, thank you so much for your time today and for talking to me. The, the work you're doing with Scott currently is just, um, is, uh, is amazing. So, yes, congratulations. Thank and, much. yeah, keep it up. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> you're, able to, uh, you're able to make it a joy to, to talk about something I don't normally talk about in great detail. So, thank you. Jesse V. Johnson there. What an absolute legend. 
fantastic to talk to Jesse and have a particularly frank and open and honest conversation. Very much enjoyed that. It felt like he wanted to get a few things off his chest there, so uh, that's absolutely fine. Uh, you know, this is a safe space, after all. Uh, and it was great. It was just great to be able to spend some time chatting to Jesse. He's making some absolutely wonderful movies with uh, Scott Adkins at the moment. Both uh, Triple Threat and his new one with Scott and Lewis, uh, Avengement. Both of those sound amazing. And we cannot wait to watch those uh, movies and whatever Jesse and Scott work on next. As I say, The Debt Collector is out now on Netflix and it will get its UK big screen premiere this Friday night at the Fighting Spirit Film Festival here in London. Go to fightingspiritfilmfestival.com to get your tickets to that and obviously enjoy all the other wonderful martial arts movie-related events that are going on there. It really is a wonderful event this year. So enjoy if you're popping along. You can, of course, keep up to date with all the latest Jesse V. Johnson news by following him on Facebook and Instagram. He is at Action Jesse V. Johnson. Great. Okay, that is about it then for this episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. I would like to thank George Dennis for his technical support, Jesse for talking to me, and also you, the loyal Foo follower, for making it right to the very end of the show. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. I will be back, as always, in two weeks' time with another episode of the show. Until then, take care, Foo followers. And I will see you next time on the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Thank you. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.